Welcome back to the Trojan Talk podcast. Uh, this is going to be fun. This is exciting. We have a new co-host for the fall, for the 2019 season. Former USC quarterback Max Brown is back in the Trojans uh, landscape, doing the pre- and post-game show this year for USC, and is our Trojansports.com analyst all fall. We just wrapped up an awesome chat on the message board with our subscribers where Max took questions for an hour. Uh, if you missed that, you definitely want to go read through those answers and make sure you're there for next week's. If you're not subscribed, you're going to want to sign up so you can be part of this each and every week. Is I mean, he he covered the full gamut of the questions, things about his career, things about this 2019 team, uh, breaking down offenses. And as we get into the season and there's actual game film to dissect and, and things to react to, it's going to be even more uh, insightful and interesting. Um, as our loyal listeners know, at the start of every podcast, there has to be a promo bump. And we have like two days left on our preseason promo. It's a great deal. Sign up now for an annual subscription, and you get 25% off for the year and $75 to spend at the Adidas store. We give you an e-card where you can go on there and spend $75 worth of gear. Uh, use promo code Adidas, and if you go to our homepage, it's really easy to find the sign-up screen and everything you need. So, like I said, about two more days left on that, maybe a day. It's, it's kind of uh, supplies are limited, but definitely take advantage of that. Without further ado, I'm so excited uh, by this edition to TrojanSports.com this season. Max Brown, how are you? I'm doing great, Ryan. Yeah, I'm fired up to be here, man. This will be a, uh, a fun season. A lot of uh, fun storylines to cover and whatnot, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to be here, man. Well, I just kind of want to start with and let everyone know what you're doing now. So you wrapped up at Pitt two seasons ago, two falls ago, and then you spent last year kind of getting into the media scene and doing your own uh, game breakdowns on YouTube and, and really kind of building a following. How did you decide you wanted to go that route and, and kind of put all that knowledge and expertise you had built into this realm? Yeah, no, totally. Um, so, yeah, in 2017, like you touched on, finished up at Pitt, uh, played the first five games, and then ripped up my right shoulder. So I basically spent – uh, all the end of 2017 and then 2018 rehabbing to try to give uh, give the NFL a go and uh, it was a pretty significant shoulder injury so the that initial evaluation process kind of came and went uh, and my shoulder still wasn't ready and then that that summer um, still wasn't ready and so when the fall came and I kind of knew hey that and I probably missed my NFL window for that initial uh, 2018 season I was like yeah hey, I'd love to give the broadcasting a go obviously wanted to stick around the game uh, didn't really want to go the coaching route. Uh, we uh, we touched on that on the message board, actually. Someone asked me, hey, would you ever go, go into coaching? And uh, I don't know if that's for me right now, just time commitment and all the factors uh, you guys that you guys can probably imagine. But, uh, yeah, went, went into the broadcasting side, and that's the beauty of it being 2019 or at the time uh, 2018 in, in that I can produce all the content on my own social channels. And so I did some weekly, weekly breakdowns of Pac-12 games and – uh, comprised some YouTube videos uh, on those breakdowns and uh, got some traction on Twitter and other social platforms last year. And that was fun. was able to get some interviews with various uh, various radio shows. And then fast forward to kind of now, that led me to you. It led me to some other uh, dealios. And um, yeah, I'll actually be doing the, 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 the radio show pre and post game uh, as like the offensive analyst for USC this year. So uh, it's been an interesting, interesting last year. Um, 
But uh, yeah, tried my hand at YouTube channels, and those YouTube channels kind of turned into some bigger gi- bigger gigs this year around. So pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, you caught a lot of eyes last year. I, I remember I kind of got on the radar when I saw the LA Times feature, and you were breaking down JT Daniels and USC, and I'm like, this guy has a really keen perspective on this. And and how could you not? You know, you put your whole life into it. You you, you pick up so much going through all all that training, all those meetings. But I want to ask you on that note. How tough was it to realize that the playing days were over and that you really had to make a hard pivot and say, I've been working toward this my whole life, and now I'm going this direction? Yeah, it was really tough. Uh, definitely came on uh, gradually. So I ended up moving down to Los Angeles last August uh, to work for Yogi Roth, who's a name that I'm sure most of your listeners recognize, uh, obviously voice of the Pac-12, uh, Pac-12 network. But uh, moved down, worked for him. Uh, and so we'd kind of do work for him and uh, train uh, in, in the mornings, try to get my shoulder right and all that stuff uh, during the fall. So I was still still all football, and then the afternoons and nights, that's when I would make my YouTube videos, just kind of trying to make the most of my time kind of thing. Um, and I actually had workouts with a few NFL teams around Christmas last year. So the uh, Steelers and the Redskins uh, had workouts with them, and it was at that point I kind of knew, hey uh, – this right shoulder of mine isn't what it used to be uh, and kind of that uh, love for the craft, love for the game, which I've always prided myself on, kind of diminished a little bit and kind of recognized it was time to move on. Um, so it wasn't necessarily like a, a, a hardcore decision or a set in stone decision right away. It was more of a gradual yeah. thing uh, as I kind of realized uh, lost my window a little bit and uh, just kind of lost uh, passion and uh, a little bit of ability at the same time. Well- we're going to get into uh, this 2019 team in a second, but just, just last thing on this. I, I really like the way you announced the news that you were going to be joining the pre- and post-game show. It was a very, very candid and, and uh, thoughtful announcement where you touched on the fact that it was a little bit conflicting for you to come back to USC, just given the way that 2016 season went, and then you leave him for Pitt. Kind of expound on that for us, if you don't mind, what that thought process was and, and, and ha- what emotions you had to go through to say, yeah, I, I want to get all the way back into this. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, as time goes on, I think the masses kind of forget how that whole thing played out. Um, but 2016 was a tough time for me. Uh, how that whole thing just went about, it wasn't, uh, wasn't a fun time for me. And that's not me trying to be uh, negative or complaining or anything, but those things happen in life, and uh, it, it, it wasn't easy. Um, just getting benched as a captain, just with kind of how that uh, just the beginning of the season unfolded. But uh, yeah, so I, I mean, it, I'm not necessarily a guy at this point that's uh, waving the USC flag in my, in my front lawn kind of thing all, all the time, just because those are some 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 tough times. But when I got the call from uh, USC athletic department. They wanted me to do the radio. Obviously, I jumped at the jump at the chance to do it. But there was some part of me that was like, "Damn, some of those memories, uh, or a lot of those memories uh, on the USC in the involved in the USC football program are, are, are tough times." And uh, that's just kind of the reality of what it is. And but at, on the other side, it's given me or the, the school has, and the pro- football program has given me some of the most important people in my life. So. Obviously, I'm drawn to, to come back. It's going to be fun. Uh, excited to see a bunch of people. But uh, I'm an optimistic guy, but I'm also real. And I'm not going to uh, fake, the, fake the idea that some of those weren't uh, the best of times. And that's kind of where I netted out with that. And as you alluded to uh, in my Twitter post, I, in a more concise version, kind of outlined, outlined that uh, in a tweet as well. Well, I, I think your, your candor is going to be one of the really interesting things uh, as we go through this this season. And uh, not just your ability to 
to break down the games and have these these keen insights. But I think I think you tell it how it is, and I think we're going to learn a lot through this process. So let's let's pivot to this 2019 USC team. You're coming back into the scene at a very interesting time for the Trojans. Obviously, uh, all the scars from that five and seven campaign last year linger. There's some there's some very raw emotions still. There's a lot of pessimism. I personally am optimistic. I I look at the changes they made. I look at I look at last season, and if the offense had just been a little bit better, a little bit more consistent each game, how different that season could have been. Now it wouldn't have been like a you know a college football playoff season, but it would have been a much different season. And I'm really believing in Graham Harrell and what he's installed here. What was your first thought as you saw the coaching carousel this off season? First, Cliff Kingsbury hired as OC. He leaves and Graham Harrell comes in and, and USC is just committed to going this air raid direction. How did that hit you? Yeah, it hit me in a, uh, a very unique way. I can remember uh, when Coach Sark got the job back in uh, whenever that was, uh, December of 2013. I can remember Pat Hayden giving me a call and saying, uh, this is USC. Uh, we're going to be pro style to the end of time. We're not going to these new school offenses and at the time, he was spot on, right? That was SC wasn't going anywhere. I mean, SC was pro style, all those type of concepts, run schemes, or whatnot. But sure enough, you fast forward six years, the football world's changed, USC's changed, and here we are with an air raid offense. So I, I always kind of chuckle when I hear your, your your questions. Awesome, but like when you go back on that timeline, I always kind of chuckle in my head just looking back on that conversation. Um, but uh, I thought the timing was tough, and credit this staff. Uh, credit Coach Helton, I think, to uh, uh, credit Coach Helton for. I mean, you, you talk about your offensive coordinator leaving to an NFL program uh, when most teams have everything in line, and you also have a strength coach that leaves the NFL, and his ability to find double A is great. Uh, Graham Harrell, um, everything, all signs point, point towards him being great as well. So to to piece that together and uh, keep the storm from going uh, totally astray, I think was uh, was was credit to him. But it'll be fun. I think their raid. With SC's skill players, like everyone's saying, with SC's skill players could be absolutely lethal and dangerous. Um, but it'll be fun. It's one thing to read articles about it and watch spring practices and fall showcases and and, and whatnot, but uh, you don't see it until you actually uh, go out there on the field. Yeah, no, it's so true. I'm I'm, I'm so over the the, the preseason storylines, and it feels like like we haven't seen a game in forever. I can't wait for for Saturday night and actually see this in operation. Um, a lot, a lot hinges on JT Daniels this season, the sophomore starter. Um, and this is something you can probably relate to pretty well. A guy who came in as one of the most heralded high school quarterbacks in the country. And, you know, fans just make quick judgments. They, he went through a tough up-and-down season. And there's some people who have just totally given up on him and think because he wasn't the best quarterback in the country his first year, he's, he can never get to the hype that he, was, uh, that he came in with. I personally think this system is going to unlock things for him and plays to his strengths. But as you were starting this new career last year and breaking down film, you, you did uh, analyze a lot of JT's games. What was the biggest takeaway for you and what was holding him back? And, and, and where is your optimism level for him now in this new system? My optimism level for him just lies in his body of work. You mean you talk about a true freshman guy who skipped his senior year goes out there and it's not groundbreaking numbers but he was, out, he was he went out there and and played solid. I think expectations were so high for him, especially coming in after Sam. It was almost unrealistic. And sure, I think on the other side you're looking at a guy like 
Trevor Lawrence or something who's all world and even he had a little bit of a window to kind of ease himself into the college football world no JT was thrown right in the fire right away so uh, I thought expectations were totally unfair on him um, I see what some people are, th- are saying to an extent I mean he's never going to wow you with his arm he, he might not be the vocal rah-rah leader like some guys are but at the same time, so many guys make a big jump from year one to year two, uh, and I think he's going to be one of them. I think your point's spot on in terms of how he's going to operate in this air raid, air raid offense. When you talk about JT, the two things he does very well is he gets the ball out of his hands quick, he knows right where he's going, and he's always had a sense of anticipation. That's the number one thing I look for in a young quarterback is, does he understand anticipation? Is he getting the ball out of his hands? Does he know where to go? Because I, I know for me, that was a bit the, one of the biggest hurdles I had as a young guy is the definition of what's open from college football or high school football to college football is just different. You have to re- rewire your brain, and uh, for that for for JT that transition was pretty seamless. So obviously you want him to take the next step. Obviously you want to see more plays, but uh, in terms of what I thought of year one, that's kind of where I net out, and I think your your, your point spot on in terms of the excitement uh, heading into year two. I have a theory I want to bounce off you, but but first. What was your? What you got? <laughs> what was your first? Of, what was your chief criticism last year of him? As you were breaking down his film, however, however often you did, what was the big thing that stood out to you about? He's gonna fix this. He's gonna get better in this way. That's a good question. Um, I would say um, probably some of those deep ball throws. I think at times he gave, he gave guys gave guys shot, but when you're USC, you're talking about elite athletes and uh sometimes underthrowing those guys like go out and give those guys a shot i think at times he, he was great but uh by and large i don't know if there's one necessary necessarily one factor that sticks out i think it's just maybe overall level of improvement in kind of all areas which is a, a cop-out answer i know but i think that's kind of what you get with a true freshman quarterback is you know it's not going to be crystal clear in all aspects but come year two, with that, that many starts he has under his belt, you really want him to hone in on uh, all the levels necessary uh, or all, all the levels needed to be an elite quarterback. Yeah, it's, it, I made this note in stories and stuff. It, it's very similar to the current political discourse in this country where you really can't change anyone's mind. Like, until he goes out there and does it on the field, you can't sway anybody. People either believe he's going to have a great second year or they believe he is what he is. Um, Looking at the stats, though, last year, if you look at the national leaders, he was the top true freshman, uh, FBS true freshman, Power 5, in terms of yards per game. So it, it wasn't a disaster season. And my theory that I wanted to bounce off you, and you know, I, I don't have the X's and O's uh, that you have, having been in it, was I kind of felt that he was pretty good in the first half of most games. Things dropped off. Is that him just consistently forgetting how to play after halftime or is that a systemic failure of the offense and him being kind of caught up in that that's funny you say that because I watched an interview of his uh, earlier this week in which he on his own brought up how the offense kind of had a a a little uh whatever the a little factor of, of 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 letting off the gas early in games and the fact that he brought that up makes me think hey maybe he was wired in that a little bit in that you come out guns blazing you're pumped up on your game plan you got your first 15 as uh, as coach Helton calls it and coach T called it last year your first 15 plays you want to get into the uh, plays that you scheme and uh, and are specifically de- designed to attack that defense but after that you kind of go through that first ra- round you uh, 
light up a little bit, and maybe that's the case for him. I think uh, I buy your theory a little bit. I, I think that's uh, it's not a bad call, but I think it's probably more of a team-wide deal rather than a JT Daniels-specific deal. Yeah. Um, this offense in general, though, it just seems so well-suited for this system. You can definitely make the argument that they have one of the best receiving cores in the country. I, I haven't gone through every program and seen you know, what that argument would actually be, but, but they're definitely in the conversation. It's not only you know their established top three of Pittman, Vaughns, and St. Brown, but they're so deep. I mean, they truly do. If you, if you buy what you saw from the freshmen this camp, they, they do go eight deep, and they don't even have their top two wide receiver recruits healthy yet in Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy. Uh, it, it, it's... It's really it's, it's the strength of this team, and this system is catered to that. That's why I have so much optimism. How, how do you see this unfolding, and, and how pass-happy do you think they are truly going to be? That's the magic question right there. Um, you mentioned eight deep. That's what I'm hearing as well. Uh, but I also know how these receiving cores operate. And if you're Michael Pittman, you don't want to come off the field. If you're Tyler Vaughn, you don't want to come off the field. If you're Amon Ross St. Brown, you don't want to come off the field. So I, I'm very interested to see how that's going to play out. Is it going to be like hockey line changes or, uh, or guys going to be kind of just tapping their helmet when it's time to go out? So I think it's definitely going to be pass happy to answer your question. I mean, that's what the air rate is. Uh, but when you have those backs, uh, you got to get them the rock somehow. And, I think what's going to happen is you're going to find ways where a lot of those backs can catch the rock. And are they going to find creative ways to maybe get the ball in their hands that's not in the run game? That's not in the traditional just hand the ball off. Are they going to get the, get the scheme in, uh, in terms of passing to get the, get the ball in the, in the running back's hands? But uh, at the end of the day, you've got those three elite receivers. I have a hard time believing uh, – Believing they're going to come off the field, but uh, shoot, Ryan, you're at practice uh, more than me. What's your, what, what's your uh, gist of the eight eight deep rotation? Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I guess the argument for it is that the pace is is so great that eventually they have to be honest and go. I need a breath. I need to, need to step off. And they have this platoon system where if one guy goes out, the the backup knows it's his turn. Like there's no discussion. Like there's a guy behind Pittman, a guy behind Vaughn's, and so it can be seamless. So the pace of the offense would be the only reason there. You made a great point on the running backs, and you know, that was really the one uninspiring part of this preseason for me was, was seeing the rushing attack, and, and maybe we didn't fully see it. Maybe it wasn't totally reflective. Uh, I think Graham Harrell made the point that they weren't going you know, in a lot of full-pad team periods where you would really emphasize that, so it could be misleading. But I just didn't see it. And in the scrimmage, they, they, re- they leaned so heavily on the pass. I do think that the running backs are going to be involved in the passing game. I think that's where you're going to see them. I, I just I really don't know what to expect on on the ground, actual carries. But I thought it was telling this week that Clay Helton even said. Well, I asked him point blank because since Graham Harrell was hired, Clay has maybe referenced this stat 112 times. That <laughs> Graham Harrell's North Texas team rushed for 2,000 yards last year. This guy loves to run the ball. That's all we've heard. And then we get into camp, and it just it hasn't really uh, passed the eye test. So I asked him on uh, Tuesday, I said, I said, Clay, do you still feel that the run game is going to be that big a part of this? And his answer, uh, he kind of talked around that part and, and said, also remember there's a lot of ways to get those guys the ball. I've never seen running backs catch so many passes in a preseason. So I, th- I think it was kind of acknowledging and telling that we do want to involve these guys because they're great talents, but it may have to be uh, in clever ways because the push up front, the actual run game just hasn't 
uh, totally come to fruition than what we've seen so far. But again, it's the preseason, and you never know how much you can read into what you're seeing. It could be totally different on Saturday. We'll see. Yeah, Clay Helton to his core wants to be a, a balanced offense, right. which that's why I'm fascinated to see how this is going to work work out. He wants to be, in an ideal world, he wants to be 50 run on the dot and 50% pass on the dot. Um, so we'll see how this, this, this plays out. Um, I do think there is an element of, so yes, the running game hasn't worked uh, all that well in spring and fall camp and whatnot, but... I mean, my, my one perspective is if, 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 if Graham Harrell is a Mike Leach disciple and when you watch Mike Leach's offense, I think there's an element of like you get so pass happy, so pass happy, and then they run the ball and it's like, oh, yeah, crap, you can run the exactly. ball with this offense. Right. And then they get like 10 yards. Yeah. So I think the surprise factor, even if that is foo-foo to kind of say, that's going to play in SC's favor all year in terms of, okay, how are we going to generate yards? We're going to generate yards by stretching the edges with all these receivers and then those that Sam Backer and that Will Backer start start expanding a little bit, and then boom, you got a favorable box, and and uh, Stephen Carr gashes you for twelve. That kind of rhythm is how I kind of anticipate it playing out. And Mike Jinx said much of the same thing last week. He said we're not going to force anything. We're not going to force the run. Those those horses on the outside, those receivers are going to open things up, and when they do, we'll take advantage of it. So I, I think you're spot on. I think it's it's going to be opportunistic uh, in that regard. But uh, it, one more note on the running backs for, for those listening. You know, we've they've closed down practice the last two weeks, so we only get like the first twenty minutes, and it's mostly stretching. So you, you don't know if what you're seeing uh, extrapolates all the way out. But whenever they've done kind of their first team walkthroughs, we saw it on Wednesday where they had both Vi Malapai and Stephen Carr out there together, and and so I think we will see more two running back sets than we saw previously. Uh, I personally am still super high on Marquis Step. I just think when they need tough yards, he's the guy. I, I think he's more of a well-rounded back than we maybe gave him credit for in the spring. I, I hope he at least gets a chance in that rotation. We'll see. I, I want to take you back, Max, to, to JT, though. And Last week was, uh, was the big reveal of the depth chart. There wasn't any surprise about JT, but there was a surprise about the rest of that ordering. Um, Keaton Slovis, the true freshman, gained number two spot. But Jack Sears getting number four and then promptly entering the transfer portal. I can't imagine how hard that conversation is for Clay Helton when you have to make that move. And I, I know it's it's a tough thing for you to look back on, but I'm really interested in how he handled it with you and and how, how the, where does the relationship go from there after a conversation like that? Yeah, and obviously both scenarios are different. I think mine was... Uh probably more controversial than uh, Jack's was right. uh, just at the time and just all the factors at play there. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I probably won't go into like how it's handled, not just not because I don't want to. I just think the scenarios are, 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 are very different. Um, but I think what I envisioned Clay probably just was, was straight with him and just said, hey, we're talking about productivity. And, uh, and when you rank the, top, the four quarterbacks, Jack was on the bottom. I know I've heard nothing but great things about Jack Sears, yeah. but I'll say this. I never was as high on him as some of the USC fan base was, and it's strictly because of what I watched in the Arizona State game. And while it's fun to see him use his legs and go out there and run outside the pocket, when you watch the, 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 the plays T and Clay had dialed up for him, they were awfully simple. They were awfully – like if you were doing day one install, like – 
cut one half of the field out and only keep your eyes in one spot. It was those type of plays. And it's nothing against his skill level, but where he was at right then, I don't think was at the level that JT was at. And so when you fast forward a year and they're in this competition, the fact that he didn't win was surprising to me. The fact that he's four, come on, I'm right with you. That, that was a little bit of a surprise. But then when you go down the ranks and you're hearing interviews where Matt Fink is playing great ball and it's the best ball we've seen at Matt Fink, well, then it's going to be tough to beat him out. And then Graham Harrell is obviously uh, pumped on Slovis, so um, more power to him there. I just think it's a tough spot when you got four capable quarterbacks. I was, t- I was excited that they – Matt Fink's a friend of mine, so it's t- – I don't know Sears well, but Matt Fink's a friend of mine, so it was tough to see him maybe not uh, get the ideal scenario. But I was glad uh, Clay made the decision. If they believe in Slovis in, in the long term, put him at two. Don't put him at three and then have Fink go in there and then they might put Slovis in there a little bit as well. Like, no. If Slovis is your guy of the future, put him at two. I, I respect that move. Even if it's hard on Matt Fink right now, I respect uh, the transparency right there. And I think uh, that's, for, that's, that's for the best for, uh, for the long term of kind of everyone in that, uh, in that room because they know uh, right where they stand. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you referenced that Arizona State game. That, that game has been, like, mythologized by the – by the Jack Sears backers and everyone who was so down JT last fall saw that second half and wanted to see more of Jack, wanted to get more of it. And and those of us who watched practice uh, all season, especially last last camp when that competition was played out, just saw JT was a much more decisive quarterback. And now you get in the Graham Harrell system, which is all about being decisive. And, and Graham even said it in the spring, he doesn't want his quarterbacks running. And I think that Jack's proclivity to continue to tuck the ball and take off was working against him, even though it's one of his his assets and and, and strengths. So it, it wasn't a surprise to those of us who were out there at camp, but you, you still can't tell that to people. They're still convinced that, that somehow there's politics in play and that this was not on the up and up and this and that. Going back to the spring, we no one expected much of Keaton Slovis coming in. I, now, I was a little higher on him because I had talked to some coaches out in Arizona who played against him and said, listen, they're getting a guy that's a lot better than his rating. Like This guy can play. So I had that in the back of my head, and he comes out there, and he's slinging it in spring practice. And the media on the sidelines actually having conversations then, like, is Keaton Slovis the second-best quarterback on this team? And so this has been developing for a while. didn't come out of nowhere, and Graham has been so effusive in his praise of Slovis, calling him a special talent, one of the best throwers he's seen. So it, it played out as we thought it was going to if you were there every day and watching. But, yeah, the, the rest of the depth chart was a little interesting. Have you gotten to see much of Keaton yet, Just any film or anything? I have not, and I'm excited to uh, hopefully get my, my hands on some practice film. Yeah. But so, so, Ryan, is it safe to say that when, when the depth chart came out, like or the, the night before, if you had to make a, your prediction of what, it be, what, it, what the depth chart would have been, would you have put uh, Keaton at number two? I would have put Keaton at two. I I'm not sure what I would have done three and four wise. Um, that was more of a toss up to me, and I think they had to. Okay. They had to know that if they put Sears at four, he was going to leave, because Matt Fink had already gone the transfer portal route, came back, and you, you kind of got the sense that he had made peace with his future at USC. Whatever happened, he he was there for the long haul. Whereas you had to feel if if Jack was put at that fourth spot, this was what was, was going to happen, and maybe they yeah. they were just okay with that and and wanted to be true to what the ranking was. Totally. And I think, 
Yeah, when you look at uh, Sears' situation, I mean, he has two more seasons left. He's going to be a grad transfer with two full years. Yeah. I mean, that's that he that's a definition of a second life. So I think, uh, no, I think you're spot on with that in terms of them putting him at, them putting Jack at four, saying we respect everything you've done, but we want to be straight up with you right now, and it's not going to happen, and we'd love to give you a second chance elsewhere. No, I think that's spot on. I, you know, I, and I say what I, I, I've been, I think. Uh, Objective in my in my evaluation of Jack and his fitness offense, not critical, but just objective. I just don't think it was the best fit for him. I do think he's a nice player, and and with those two years, I think he can find a home that better suits his talents, that that better utilizes his his dual threat abilities. And I would not be surprised at all if he goes somewhere and plays well. I also don't think that would be a reflection that they made the wrong decision. I, I think it's two separate things. Um, I want, want to go back to to your experience one more time here, just in terms of. When it came to finding a new home and what that process was and, and how overwhelming it was to re-enter the recruiting process, and that, how do you even be, begin to go through that? Yeah, so yeah, when I saw Jack Sears' announcement that he was going to step away from the team, uh, I totally get it. I remember it was, it was super weird. I would go to practice in a USC jersey, get off the field, and then talk to other coaches at Division One programs like that on my phone like right after mm. just because that – I, I, I was unique in that everyone knew I was leaving. So, like, it was the writing was on the wall. Yeah. They, and so I got my permission to contact. The transfer portal wasn't a thing, but I got my permission to contact, like, mid-season because uh, I was of the same mindset as Jack. Like, okay, it's obviously not happening here. I need to do what's best for my future. I did not leave the team. That actually didn't really cross my mind because there's enough time in the day to, in my opinion, to kind of focus on that route. But I totally get emotionally if you want to detach yourself and mentally want to detach yourself so you can kind of hit the reset button, I totally, totally understand that from a Jack Sears standpoint. Um, but yeah, it was super goofy. I remember going through uh, compliance and saying, hey, I gotta, I gotta figure this thing out. And that was like mid-October, uh, so pretty early in the season. And uh, then was talking with schools uh, throughout the year. And I knew at that time there was a strategic initiative on my end, and I'm sure it's on Jackson as well, to get into a school by January 1 or January 6th or whenever that right. school starts after Christmas break. Because then for most schools, semester schools, if you're not in by January 10 or whatever it is, then you miss that time window and then you miss spring ball and then you can't enroll until summer. So there is a sense of urgency in terms of, hey, come Christmas time, you need to know where you're going if you want to get in by semester. Because of that very reason, most guys don't go the semester route and then transfer or grad transfer in the summer. That's how most guys do it. But uh, Jack, everything I've heard is Jack's a guy that uh, is super self-aware, is, super, is super aware of all factors at play. And I'm sure he has his eyes on going to a new school in, in, in uh, come, a new school come January, going spring ball at a new, new school in 2020, winning the job there and never looking back. And I don't blame him for having that mindset. How many schools did you end up actually considering or talking to in that process? Ooh, probably like five or so. Um, the Fresno State Bulldogs were actually one of them. That's funny looking back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. I didn't even, actually didn't even thought about that until uh, just now. Yeah, Fresno State was one of them. Well, you know, for all the talk about this being a huge season for JT Daniels, it's obviously a make-or-break season for Clay Helton. Um, I think many people nationally, locally, were surprised when he was brought back after five and seven, and 
uh, I think everyone understands, and I think he understands what he has to do this year. It, he made all those changes in his staff. But you've actually played for him, and I, I want to get into a couple of things that I think fans would be really interested to hear about. And he's, he's obviously a player's coach, and there's a lot of strengths with that. Overall, what do you think are the pros and cons of that approach? It's, every coach has their own style. There's hard, hard-edged coaches. There's players' co- coaches. He's very much a players' coach. How do you think that works overall? Yeah, obviously, it's a loaded, loaded question. I think uh, players' coach. Obviously, it's going to be you're going to have probably a little bit more energy, natural energy. You're probably going to it's probably going to be easier to walk into your head coach's room and just chop it up with them. Uh, it's going to be, yeah, I mean, conversations and interactions are probably a little more easier and, and, and natural and that sort of thing. I think um, the positives of that is, yeah, just more energy, more lively, kind of that kind of locker room type feel, The whatever that comes up nowadays. I think like Dabo Sweeney type vibe, like that's ultimate player's coach. But then on the other side, the, the more general vibe, the more maybe Nick Saban vibe, uh, it's all maybe a lessened of the factors I just said. And then the, the pros with that are kind of the discipline element, right? It's, it's a general mentality. It's uh, you're coming to work. It's, it's um, you, you're really embracing and expecting criticism. I think uh, I don't think there's necessarily one right or one wrong way to do it. I just think when you do pick a style, you need to be aware of maybe where the shortcomings are and have other coaches or other ways of addressing uh, addressing those factors. And it sounds like that's what they did uh, did this off season. And and uh, well, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Well, again, we referenced uh, the chat you're doing on the message board every Thursday. We had a great first one, and I know one of the questions to you was about intensity of practice, hard hitting, and it's it's just a storyline that uh, fans here fixate on. And um, you know, I, I don't totally buy in into it all the way. I don't think you have to be. Uh, what was the the movie about Bear Bryant? Uh, whatever. You, you don't have to be. <laughs> Uh, you know, bloody and bruised every practice to be ready for game day. Uh, but I, I do want want to ask you how things compared from USC and Pitt in terms of the way practices were run. What were the major differences? Yeah, Pitt was a lot more hitting, um, and I say a lot more. It was Wednesdays were full pads as well, so it's just one day. But in terms of your practice practice segment, that day is a big piece in the day. So. It was a lot more. I think a lot of it's just kind of what you get used to and what you get accustomed to. So um, I think a a big portion of it is kind of mixing up what you're doing, like maybe not mixing up, but throughout the course of a year, um, maybe it's not shells all the time. Maybe it's not shorts on this specific day kind of thing. So definitely more hitting at Pitt. Uh, What I will say, though, is Ed Orgeron, who's a fan favorite, love love AEO, he's the man, but of, of the five head coaches I had in college, he had the least amount of hitting. And so really? it, that doesn't necessarily equate, right? You think Coach Orgeron, like hard, right? Nah, I mean, he was shells a lot. And granted, there's a asterisk there in that he took over our team on the back back two-thirds of that season. So right. take, that, take that what you will, because um, obviously I think all coaches kind of ease off a little bit. But uh, – you kind of alluded it to start. I don't think hitting or make or break. I just think it's when you do pick a style, being aware of how that might hurt you on the other end and trying to find ways to, 
if you are going shells all the time, how do you make it? How do you make practice physical? How do you emphasize the fact that we need to start hitting those kind of things? And that's the art of being a, being a great coach. When you were playing at USC, what was the players' perspective? Was was everyone thinking this is the right way to do it, or were, were there guys going, "I wish we did more full pad stuff"? I mean, you get both ways, right? When uh, when you're winning and they got you running, when they got when you're when you're winning, you can't go wrong. Uh, I don't think any player is ever going to say, "Man, I'm I'm bummed we're in shells," right? Because internally you're like, "No, nah, this is the best. I don't want to put those big bulky pads on. No, I want to be comfortable." But I do think there's an element of players knowing, "Hey, we probably should be should be hit more or whatever." But I think internally, as a player, you always think you got it locked in. You always think you're ready to go. I think that's the coach's job to be like, you know what? You're probably not where you need to be. We probably do need a couple more hitting periods. We probably do need a couple more live periods. I know you're sore. I know you're tired. But let's get up anyways. That kind of thing is a coach's job. And so I think there's a good uh, push and pull element there as well. Well, let's let's turn the page now to this first game. Because, again, I'm, I'm excited to see actual football. To have an actual game to uh, observe, break down, critique. Uh, it's, been, it's been too long. Have you looked at Fresno State very closely yet? Obviously, last year they were they were on the national radar. They were a ranked team, um, beat Arizona State or Arizona in, in the bowl game. I forget which one. That Las Vegas Bowl uh, won their conference. They lost a lot of guys. They lost their quarterback, most of their offense. What's your expectation for the obstacle that USC is facing this first week? Yeah, they lost a bunch, like you alluded to. Um, I mean, straight up, I think USC should take care of business. I mean, it's nothing. Uh, what in my 2013 year at USC, that Fresno State team that we played in 2013, that was a great ball club. That was Derek Carr, Devonte Adams, like those dudes. Yeah. Those dudes are still household names. That was a legit ball club. I don't get that gist with this club, if we're being honest. But then again, don't get me wrong. They're coming off some success. They probably got some confidence. There's probably a lot of guys on that roster that are saying, hey, man, I should be wearing the Cardinal and gold, that kind of thing. So you're going to get their best shot. Uh, I think Jeff Tedford's going to do a great job of saying, hey, here are the two or three main weapons I have. How do I get the ball in their hands? So I think defensively, um, I think that's definitely going to be an element. I'm also, if I'm Jeff Tedford, and I know I have a secondary who's been swapping pieces in and out and rotating a bunch of guys, and they're they're young guys, and I'm going to do everything I can to try to confuse that secondary. So I think Fresno State offensively concerns me more uh, if you're a USC fan rather than Fresno State's defense uh, defensive uh, unit. They're thin at linebacker. Um, they're solid up front, but uh, – yeah, we, we shall see. I think Fresno State's solid enough up front defensive line-wise where if USC's offensive line is spotty, maybe that's an element that they get after them, but uh, we shall see. I, I think the fear when you play a team like this always has to be when they have an established coach. And, and Jeff Tedford's career is really interesting. He's almost come full circle. He took over at Cal after a 1-10 season and reeled off eight straight winning seasons. Takes over at Fresno State, his alma mater, after a 1-11 season and immediately makes them not just respectable but good. Uh, 22 wins the last two years. So you have to kind of give some benefit of the doubt to this, this guy's track record that, you know, yeah, they've lost a lot of guys, but I wouldn't write them off entirely. So in the back of my head... I I have that in mind. I think you know this is probably this is probably that's not not a pushover. This could be an interesting game. 
What's the one area that you'd be most concerned about for USC? The one vulnerability that could potentially make this more interesting than it needs to be or, or undermine this opener? Yeah, I kind of alluded to last question. I think right now every SC fan's kind of got the offensive line in one hand yeah. and the secondary in the other hand, right? And it's kind of yeah. it's kind of which one are you taking? Uh, but to me, I think that's the beauty of the air raid, right? Is I think it can mask some of the offensive line deficiencies that you may have. I think they'll be just fine. But it will maybe they're not elite, but I think they'll be just fine. Secondary is what makes me nervous because. When you're sitting there and you're saying, all right, we're, we're, we're really versatile. We got guys switching in and out of positions, but we're very young. I'm saying, sweet, you're versatile, that's awesome. But if you're switching guys in and out, then maybe what happens if their communication lacks? Or they Fresno State motions a receiver from one side to the other, and a guy that was at safety for two weeks that just moved over to corner doesn't get the right call in a brand-new Coliseum where it's really loud or it won't be loud when they're on defense. But you get, you get kind of what I'm saying. So – I think secondary-wise is what uh, concerns me the most, only because not that, not that those guys aren't talented. Don't, don't get me wrong there. It's just that uh, the, the lack of continuity and, uh, and how young they are. But uh, I don't know. What about you? Is it O-line? Is it corner? Is it someone else? Who you got? Well, I, I, I'm in lockstep with you here. I, I am concerned about the O-line, but I think this offense works around that. I think the quick passing game is going to really offset the, the need to protect JT back there. And I also think that that passing game can be so effective that it uh, overrides the need for a rushing attack. I think they can get by with a high-volume passing attack and, and use the quick passing game to offset any protection issues. So it, for me, it is the cornerbacks. And maybe my favorite assistant coach on this team right now is Greg Burns, the DB's coach, because he, he kind of tells it like it is. And it's just been interesting to hear him all month be so candid about this group. And uh, we got him again yesterday, and he goes, uh, we asked him, do you have any idea what to expect Saturday? He goes, yeah, I got a general sense. They're young. It is what it is. Can't tell you that. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah, that. So he, 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 he's not sugarcoating it. I mean, he's pretty much telling you, listen, they're, they're going to be problems here, okay? They're going to be learning on the fly. They're going to be growing as the season goes. Uh, it's not going to be perfect out of the gates. But you also touched on the, on, the, on the talent level here. How many programs in the country would love to have three five-star cornerbacks competing for spots right now? Elijah Griffin, Isaac Taylor Stewart, Chris Steele, all five-star prospects coming to USC. None have proven anything, but th- that's a heck of a talent base to start from. So you have to think that over the course of the season, they're going to figure things out there. Um, we've seen Elijah Griffin be the steadiest and also – most opportunistic corner of this camp. So he's the one guy that I think will emerge the earliest. I think there's still going to be a little bit of a competition between Taylor Stewart and Steele as we get into things. I would guess that Taylor Stewart gets the start, but I think they're going to give Steele a chance to see how those guys respond in games. Uh, as Burns said this week, his, his main question is seeing the guys in action, who abandons the technique they've been focusing on all month? Who reverts back to old habits once the, once the bullets are flying? It'll be interesting to see, like, what happens. You mentioned uh, opportunistic. If these four corners are saying, I'm out here to win a job, and what's going to win me a job? It's, it's going to be an interception week one. If they're a little more right. antsy and start jumping things a little bit more, and Jeff Tedford sitting back there saying, all right, I'll throw a few curls and hitches quarter one. Yeah. But then when yeah. those corners start saying, oh, i got to make a play to win a job, start double moving them, and he might see some big plays. That's what I would do if I was Fresno State, without a doubt. Yeah, and 
I, I do think, though, that the rest of the defense is pretty encouraging. Like, that's really the only question mark for me. Um, it, what's, it's funny that for as much as we've hyped up and talked about Talano Hufanga and Isaiah Polamau at safety, they haven't played together. Uh, Polamau started to open last season, got hurt in game two. Hufanga came on thereafter as they were shuffling through that depth chart. Uh, so everyone looks at that tandem as kind of a stabilizing force, but we haven't seen it together on the field. So that'd be interesting, but I do believe in them. At nickel, uh, I'm surprised that, that Chase Williams has uh, lost some ground to, to Greg Johnson because Burns has been so high on Chase Williams all, all camp. And Greg Johnson started out in the cor- cornerback competition, is now at nickel. So I, I want to see how that spot goes, how, how much they split time there. And then, to me, there, there, there's three X factors for this defense. Three guys who have... Uh, real star potential this season, real breakout potential. One Sufanga, who Clay Helton has said could be one of the best safeties in the country. He's instinctual. He, he just has that knack for the ball. I know it's cliche, but I don't know how else to describe it. It's, it's what he is. Like he, He's just where he needs to be and makes big plays. The other is uh, Pali Ie Naatiote. Let's uh, call him Ie. Let's call him Ie. We, we saw it, it in, in, in a glimpse last year during his three-game starting spell for Cam Smith. Uh, another guy that was just instinctual. Maybe didn't have a full command of, of the defense and, and the playbook and, and probably had some misassignments, some gaffes, but you saw the raw athlete, you saw the playmaking, you saw the instincts. I think he goes to a different level this year. And the third is Drake Jackson, the freshman defensive end, who was the player of the spring for them. Not the freshman of the spring, but the player of spring. He was the storyline of spring. He was so impressive. If those three guys reach their ceiling this year, I think that that really elevates this defense collectively and offsets those questions in the back a a good bit. I'm right with you. And I think kind of jumping around that entire depth chart, that's the biggest question I have is leadership-wise, who's going to be the guy that gets guys going? Because I think in years past, you've had some great leaders. I know when I was there, it was was Michael Hutchins. You had a Dory Jackson, uh, even dating back to Devon Kennard, Hayes Pillar, those type guys, great leaders. This year, it's not so much, um, at least from what I, what, what I can gather. And people have been pointing to John Houston, which great teammate, love the guy. When I was there, he was not vocal. Granted, he was a yeah. younger guy, but I, I know that's been a huge leap he's had to make. So if, that's what, if, if he's the guy everyone's pointing to, great, love it. But, I mean, he still has room to grow in, in that category. So, like you said, those three guys – Coupled with other D linemen, you mentioned Christian Rector, same type of deal. Like, who's going to get those guys going on the defensive side? And, I mean, obviously, play speaks for itself, but uh, that'll be fun to watch. You know, we talk so much about leadership in football, and it's just that, that constant intangible factor. Is there a good example from your playing days of someone who stepped up and made a, a really tangible impact by being a leader by by galvanizing the team in a pivotal moment by just taking charge of things like, like where it really made a difference that this guy was was this this leader in this moment yeah I think that's kind of the beauty of leadership though is that it's not necessarily a single singular moment I think it's kind of a body sure. of work over body of work over the course of time and uh, when I hear you say that one name kind of sticks out, it's Devon Kennard. I mean, that guy was every single day and he wasn't maybe as vocal as, uh, as some other guys, but I mean, you talk about just day in and day out, uh, the prep, the work, kind of the, the, the standard he set, but we had a bunch of great leaders and I kind of touched on him in that last, uh, that last piece, but Hayes Pilar, I mean, Michael Hutchins, 
I mean, a b- b- bunch of great guys, uh, but I think D- DK is one name that sticks out. What did he do differently than other guys to kind of earn that mantle? Yeah, body of work you put in. I mean, every single day, whether it's a Wednesday in March when it's gloomy outside, putting in the work and the rehab and the film watching, or if it's a Tuesday practice in the heart of fall and it's Notre Dame week. I mean, you got the same guy every single day, uh, an absolute pro. And I think one thing is there's hard work and there's what you invest in the team. There's also being a dude. It's the guy that you're able to sit down and have breakfast with, and it's like a normal dude. And I think he had a great gauge of that. Uh, in terms of, I mean, everyone loved him, had a relationship with on the team, but it wasn't a, uh, uh, a, a phony work ethic. It was, this is my job, this is my craft, and then I'm going to go uh, be one of the dudes outside. And I think that balance allowed him to resonate with everyone on the team. Yeah, yeah you know, and since we touched on being vocal, I'm going to bring it back to the QBs one more time because, you know, JT is a kind of a mild-mannered guy. He's a soft-spoken guy, wasn't a vocal guy last year. And he even touched upon it. He goes, I, I got there a month before the season. I don't think that 23-year-olds want me to be telling them what, what to do as an 18-year-old. Uh, so I sympathize with the challenge and the obstacle he faced there. But how important is it for the quarterback to be that guy? Can you, can you get past, can you get by with, without being that guy? Or does he really have to grow in that regard? I mean, it's awfully important. If, I, if, I, if I'm recruiting a quarterback, I, I, I would love for that guy to be vocal. But more importantly than not, I mean, it's, it's got to be real. It's got to come from the heart. It can't be just a cheesy, you're, you're talking just to talk, and guy. it's going in one ear and out the yeah. other ear for guys. I think if JT's not a, not a vocal leader, then he should not try to be a vocal leader. That's okay. I mean, you've seen guys, I mean, as I say that, like Marcus Mariota comes up. He's never going to be a rah-rah halftime speech guy, and that's okay. He's got he's to be him. But I think if you were picking one way or the other, you'd love for him to be vocal. I um, feel like that's how I was at SC. I uh, feel like Sam was to that to an extent. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big factor in terms of getting guys going and, and keeping guys in line for sure. He, JT's definitely talked a lot about it this month. He said that Graham Harrell has uh, – He's, Graham Harrell has emphasized that the most excited team uh, wins, and he and he needs to be the tone setter for that excitement. And I think he's really sincerely going to try and be that guy. It'll be interesting to watch though as it plays out. Let's kind of close on on this last topic. Um, just big picture overall, the over unders you know come out every year for for teams. You know the, the gambling lines, but but they're also more than just gambling lines. They're reflections of perception of national perception of what people expect for USCD over under is at seven wins this year I personally think it's the a lock I, I it's the over is a lock I think seven is the floor for this team um, I, I think eight is likely I think more is possible I'm kind of in the minority though a lot of people can't shake last year they can't forget last year they they can't think that clay can grow or that JT can grow over under seven wins, what are you taking? I got the over. I'm right with you. I'm maybe not as uh, as passionate with the over, um, but I got the over. Um, I think this offense is going to be fascinating. I think the talent and the dang skill this team has uh, is going to flourish in this offense. Like your first question or the first point we discussed in this topic was – perception of JT Daniels I like his play I had I thought it was very solid last year especially for a number or a, for a uh, true freshman so I'm high on this defense I do think if I mean man alive or these first few games 
crazy, crazy yeah. important because you got to you got to get off on the right foot. But uh, even then, so much talent, and I also think I mean you look around. The Pac-12 South is not very strong top to bottom. Uh, it'd be a different ball game if we were talking about a Pac if 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 SC was a Pac-12 North school because I think the Pac-12 North one through five is very good or uh, Cal, Cal up is good to very good. Uh, that's not necessarily the case in the South. So I think you're going to have some favorable favorable games. Uh, obviously Utah is the big one in the South, but. I'm taking over on that. Too much skill. Um, at the end of the day, you got a quarterback that can make some plays. You're not talking about a true freshman or an unnamed quarterback coming in there. And when you got a guy that can make some plays as a signal caller, you got a shot. And uh, I'm taking over for sure. Yeah, you, you do make a great point, though. That first six-game gauntlet is really tough. And given what happened last year and given Clay's tenuous status, if they were to stumble early, it would be harder for them to recover than I think a different team. So I think these first few games are so important and pivotal. That's the only way I can see that falling short of seven wins is if the first chunk is really bad and they just can't they can't galvanize and recover because of all the other outside factors. But talent-wise, and just going game by game, I don't see a way that they don't win at least eight personally. But I'm, again, I'm more bullish than most on it. I just really believe in this offense – I believe that they have more skill than almost everyone they're going to play on that side of the ball. And if they have an offense that better organizes that and maximizes it, that makes all the difference to me. That overrides almost all the other questions about this team. Those last two points we talked about, the leadership and those first for that, those first segment of games are crucial. And sometimes leadership's used as kind of like a fluffy term, like, oh, he's a great leader, but they're going to need every ounce of that early on if they hit a, hit a rough patch to keep that team together uh, in terms of players in that locker room. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it starts hot right, right from the start. Got to take care of business against Fresno State and then uh, worry about Pac-12 play from then on. But uh, all the talent in the world – uh, Double-digit wins is possible. I mean, they got to go out and execute, but uh, it's possible for sure. Yeah, and if, if anyone questions whether leadership is real or, or uh, how it manifests, I think, point back to last year, after the last game of the season, Cam Smith, veteran middle linebacker, got really candid about what went wrong. And he said, we couldn't reach guys. Like, we couldn't get everyone to buy in. People did, didn't want to listen. They, they were tuning out other players and so there was a real void of leadership there and that's not any one person's fault i'm not singling anybody out but collectively it wasn't there and things crumbled as a result so it does matter it is not just an intangible nebulous term and i, I like the fact you've emphasized that point so much because I, I, I agree with you it, it was the main thing lacking last year one of the main things and if that's different that can really help here it's it's a bi- it's a big reason why uh, that 2016, 2016 team stayed together. Um, yeah. In terms of starting off rough, some great leaders on that team um, and guys that kind of set the standard for when difficult times uh, arose and uh, yeah, big part of football at any level uh, without a doubt. Well, we'll just we'll close on this. We'll bring it back to the game Saturday night, the opener against Fresno State. What are the, the few things that you want to see that would really maybe reinforce any optimism for this season? If, if you see these few things, you're going to feel good about this team. Yeah, I would say that's a great question. I would say no big plays from the secondary. I mean, that's, that's obviously a lofty task. But if you can walk out of that game and the DBs weren't 
there was no breakdowns or anyone running wide open. I think that's a great sign. Uh, I think offensively, even if they don't run the ball week one, that would not be panic mode for me. Um, I'd love to see I'd love to see uh, Tyler Vaughn, like the big three receivers get going. It'd be fun to see those guys get some action. Um, I'll say a guy like Devin Williams. I mean, if you got him going early in this season, he might never look yeah. back, and he might be the right. next, the big four, the, the the fourth piece that you need. Or shoot, if he gets going, he might hop some of those guys. Um, but I think getting JT off to a rhythm, uh, I know personally how much that quarterback competition can just wear on you. I know when I won won the job, it almost felt like I played a a full season. So I'd love for him to go out there and just have success, just so he can put all that stuff behind him. And there's no Slovis talk. There's no let's go get Jack Sears from class talk. There's none of that. I would love for him to just uh, go out and play well. Um, so that those two, those two things stick out to me, but even, I guess the the big point is if even if there is no run game week one, I do not think that is sign for panic. I think you got some younger offensive linemen. Maybe that's uh, them getting their feet wet, and it's also I mean this offense that's what you get when you sign Graham Harrell is you're you're running uh, you're living and dying by the pass. Yes, the air yes the ground game is gonna um, aid in that, but uh, it's not cause for panic if uh, if it's not working after week one. I, I don't know what about you? Well, you, you've been. Uh, bunch of practices what's the what's the one thing you want to see transition from uh the the, uh howard jones uh cromwell field to uh to the coliseum i I think it would do everybody well if jt came out and had a huge first game and really silenced some doubters swayed some opinions and that's why this this opener is so interesting because i think we really don't know what this office is going to look like until we see it we've seen it uh, things held back surely in practice we've seen it you know in, in structured segments and pieces I want to see it free flowing in the game what it looks like and do all my beliefs about what JT can do in this offense uh, come to fruition and I think they have the opportunity to really sway uh, overall perception with this first game even though it's Fresno State even though it's unranked Fresno State I think if the, if the system and the product just look good People are going to go, you know what, maybe maybe all this hype about Graham Harrell and this offense, maybe there's something to it. So I, I think it's a really important showcase for JT, and it would sure be a lot more fun talking about this team if it wasn't so divisive about the quarterback this entire season. So I personally hope he comes out and has a great first game, and we'll go from there. I think you had a great first game here, Max, uh, on this podcast. This was a, a lot of fun. Yeah. Love that. Uh, really Love that. True, true, fre- <laughs> true freshman on the podcast. Executed well. I like that. Yep. No, this is fun. Well, that, that was a veteran segue by, by me there for you. So <laughs> um, I, I'm really excited about, about having Max on board uh, this season. Uh, just to kind of let everyone know again, we're going to do two podcasts a week. We're, we're going to do one that uh, goes up on Tuesdays, really breaking down the previous game and, and le- leaning heavily on Max's expertise and his, his insight and his keen eye for what's happening Uh film breakdown everything and then we're going to do uh the friday podcast like this one looking ahead to the next game and all the storylines from the week but i also encourage you if you're not subscribed get subscribed so you can take part in these thursday chats on the board it was lively today there was a lot of fun questions my favorite question to max was uh if he had to pick one offensive lineman to accompany him in a dark alley as a bodyguard who would it be uh (laughs) that was that that's the range of topics we covered today. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta. We can't give the answer up. You gotta force people to subscribe and go find, uh, go find out exactly. what my answer was. <laughs> That's what we call a tease. That's what we call a tease. But 
but we're doing this all season. Uh, this is a huge deal for this website, churchandsports.com, to get Max involved this fall. We're going to have a lot of fun. Max, thank you. It was awesome, Ryan. Yep, looking forward to uh, next week, and let's go get a win. We'll see you Saturday. See you, Ryan.